Well, good evening. We're thankful for your attendance here this evening and the opportunity to study together for a few moments. And as we've said, and Tom already prayed for us very well, that we would like for you to stay afterwards as we assemble for a few moments and honor our seniors and those who are able to be with us this evening and even the, the couple of college graduates that aren't able to be with us. But we're thankful that you are here this evening and look forward to that time in just a few moments. If you've got your Bible tonight, you can be turning to the book of Deuteronomy. And we are going to take a look at that book as best we can in about 20 or 25 minutes or so this evening. Uh, as I've told you before, this is a pretty good uh, series in a sense that we can take a look at books of the Bible, but it presents a challenge certainly with some of the longer ones and some that cover a good period of time because it makes it a little difficult. But I think there's benefit in it, kind of taking just a, a touch on some of the things that are going on there, some of the things that we can learn from it. And certainly we hope to do that this evening. I was thinking just a few moments ago that we could spend, you know, uh, even a whole semester as you do in college or, or high school sometimes looking at some of the books. Uh, and even in general, I have a book in, in my library there in my office. It's called A Critical Introduction to the New Testament. But if you've ever taken, especially in terms of the Bible, a critical look at something, it's looking at all the different writings about it, all the different church uh, fathers, we call them, all the different church historians. And it can be long, it can be very laboring to try to do that. Uh, and it really, it's not beneficial for most of us. We lean upon those who have done a lot of the scholarly work. But it helps us to take a look and think for just a moment about some of these books of the Bible. We're up to the fifth month here, uh, and at least for the first year or so, you can count off which book we're on that way, but it may take a turn as we get a little bit further along. But we're going to take a look at Deuteronomy, which I think a fitting name for it would be Moses' Masterpiece. Moses' Masterpiece. Now, that's not original with me. I believe it was the 2008 Spiritual Sword uh, lectureship at the Getwell Congregation there in the Memphis area uh, 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 that studied the book of Deuteronomy and titled it Moses' Masterpiece. But I think that's a good way to begin, to think about it, with his writing here. Uh, I didn't put it on the screen, but when you think about the name, and some of you I know have Bibles where you open it up to a particular book and maybe it gives you a little history of it there. Uh, but the book Deuteronomy, the name comes from what the, the title that the Greeks gave it, uh, with Deutero meaning second and nomos meaning law. So you will hear some people call it the second giving of the law. Now, that can be confusing for some people, uh, but not those who are, again, Bible scholars. And I wouldn't even say that you have to be a deep Bible scholar. But we know that Moses is not giving a second law but a second giving of the law. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment with our key word. But another way to say it when we think about it being Moses' masterpiece is the idea that here in the book of Deuteronomy, there are four, maybe if you'll call them farewell speeches. Now what we're going to do in just a minute is take a look at a couple of breakdowns of the chapters. And those four speeches will be given in one of those. And I'll show you that in a moment. But to come back and say, well, Moses' masterpiece, what does it include? Well, four farewell speeches. And in fact, I'll give you here a purpose, if you will. Again, I didn't put this on the screen, but one of the purposes in this idea of Moses giving four, four farewell speeches, one of the purposes is that Moses was reminding a younger generation of God's law. Reminding a younger generation of God's law. You've heard me say this a lot. It feels like even here recently on Sunday morning in our class and even again on Wednesday nights. 
But it's funny that we look at our world and we shake our head and we tend to think that we've got all these problems that no one's ever had and the world is just such a terrible place. We don't go very far in the Bible that we see a lot of sin. And we don't go very far in the Bible to see that it was needed that there would be a second giving of the law. That people would need to be reminded of God's law. How to be disobedient, or excuse me, how to be obedient, messed that up. How to be obedient, and then what happens when you're disobedient. And so Moses takes the time to do that here in these four speeches, which leads us to our key word. One of the key words, if you tried to break down Deuteronomy in just one word, might be the word remember. Remember what God has done. And again, as we try to make this connection between what happened in the Old Testament and what happens to us today, we have a problem because God doesn't work today as he did in the Old Testament. When Moses says to remember what God has done, I can only imagine what that would mean to someone who was an Israelite who has seen literally what God has done in the sense that he has done miracles in front of them he has made things happen that go beyond the laws of nature now when we think about our lives he's done some great and powerful things as well but we don't see it in the same miraculous way but the key word if you were to try to break down the book of deuteronomy might be to remember remember what god has done i sometimes try to find little things that might be interesting to you one of those from the book of deuteronomy might be the time that was covered if you take a look from the beginning to the end of the time covered, it's about a period of 70 days. Now again, when you sometimes get into a critical look at books of the Bible, you'll get all kinds of different dates. In fact, I can't remember all of a sudden now off the top of my head, but one of the papers I had to write in college for a critical introduction to the New Testament was either the date or maybe the authorship of one of the books in the New Testament. And when you get into that, it's pretty, there's a lot to look at there. And somebody will say it was written this time, this time. The Old Testament, it's a little easier. We think about some of the things sometimes that are listed there. We think about connecting things in the Old Testament books that we find about in history. Uh, for those of you who were in here on Wednesday nights, back last year we covered Daniel. We find pieces of history from around that time period and we can connect the dots a little easier. But it is a time here of about 70 days. It would have gone from the end of their wandering in the wilderness to the crossing of the Jordan, which was under the leadership of Joshua. And we'll talk about that again here in just a moment. So this is a very quick overview. I'm just going to throw all this up here and you can kind of take a look at it. Uh, but chapters 1 through 4 are a review of their journey. Again, a first speech. The second set of chapters there is a review of the law. This is where we get the idea of the second giving of the law. So yes, I understand. When we cover these books and we talk about them once a month here, and I tell you, hey, maybe you should go home and read it. You know, maybe over the course of this month, read the book of Deuteronomy. I know it's tough. I understand when we get into the law and all the things that are there, it's very difficult to read. But Moses reviews uh, hear the law. And then the third section would be an admonition, if you will, to know the law, keep the law. And I would even add, I didn't put it on the screen, but to put God first or keep God first. Know the law, keep the law, and keep God first. And then we come to the end of the book and there is a final admonition. And what we see is there is a leadership change. Uh, and pretty significant when you think about the children of Israel and what they've gone through, what they've done under Moses. But here they go from a leadership change from Moses to Joshua. 
Now, some people will even say, and again, I'll just toss this out here for your thinking. If you've got time and you want to mull it over or look it up during the week, you can. But some people even say that the last chapter, which covers the death of Moses, may have been written by Joshua. And again, I'm not here to try to break all that down necessarily in the time we have together this evening. But that certainly is part of what takes place here. One more, uh, this is the same thing, kind of just broken down in a different way, but to look at the contents, and this is where I mentioned the speeches. The first speech is a rehearsal of the past. Again, we talked a moment ago about Moses reviews their journey. He goes through their past. The second speech, the regulations of God, the giving of the law. The third speech, the responsibilities of Israel. Remember, we said know the law, keep the law, keep God first. You have responsibilities. We said in our class this morning, I believe it was, but God not changing over time, through time he has said, I have things for you to do, ways for you to behave, laws to obey, and here's your responsibility. And then that last section, the fourth speech, the final admonition that we talked about just a moment ago, being the reflections of a leader. Again, I think it's interesting to consider what they went through. And again, we don't have time to go through chapter by chapter tonight. Uh, but when we think about all that takes place and they're wandering in the wilderness and all of that, there is a, there's, this is a pretty big change that's going to take place here, in, including Moses kind of rehashing this in his farewell speeches. We sometimes ask, ask the question, and the preacher sometimes says, if you could leave a parting word, if you could leave one last comment, To a loved one, what would you say? What would you do? And Moses gets the opportunity here, in a sense, to give these four speeches and to encourage the children of Israel. Let's take a look at a few key verses. If you've got your Bible there, you may want to turn and follow along. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 2. A serious note here, a serious word You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Again, as Moses is giving them instructions here and reviewing these things that they've been through, he's going to tell them, he's going to remind them of these important instructions. Again, we serve a God who does not change. We can be thankful for that. And his admonition and encouragement all throughout the span of time, including through his servant and the leader Moses, was you shall not add to these words. You shall not take away from these words. God has told us what to do and how to be obedient, and we need to follow exactly what he has said. The second passage is Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 9. Remember, this is a second giving of the law. If you look in chapter 5, if you're following along, you'll see that the Ten Commandments are reviewed. That's the second place that you'll find them, as uh, again, in the book of Exodus that we talked about uh, not too long ago as we encouraged our young people with the last leaders program. But as we come to chapter 6, I want us to read these together here if you're following along. I'll read them out loud. But an important encouragement, especially for some of us who are parents as we think about our families. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, 
and on your gates. What encouragement there is there. And even as we talked about verse 5 there in our lesson this morning, in the quotations that we looked at in the New Testament in Luke 10 and as well from the book of Matthew, and we think about this type of encouragement, serving God with all that is within us, giving ourselves wholly over to God. Not lukewarm, not in between, but serving Him with all that we can, with all that we have. I was talking with someone even just this afternoon for just a moment and said, you know, it's frustrating sometimes, not just as the preacher, but to all of us. Sometimes as Christians, when we look around and we see others who want to just kind of halfway do things and just just halfway give a little bit of an effort. And I made the comment that I feel a lot of times like Christianity is what we teach our children when it comes to school, when it comes to sports, when it comes to many other things, it's exactly like we tell our children. You get out of it what you put into it. Same thing is true. God says here, you shall love the Lord your God with all that you've got. And of course, the admonition in verse number seven there, you shall teach them to your children. It's got to be a lifestyle. Almost could have flowed right into this point from the end of our lesson this morning. It's got to be a lifestyle, something that we do day in and day out. It permeates everything that we do, every part of our lives. I know that we're not going to quote scripture every single thing that we say during the day, but is the word of God on our lips and in our mind constantly that it is a part of our life? It needed to be that way in Deuteronomy to the children of Israel, and it has to be that way for us today. It's not changed. That's what we need to be seeking after. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse number 15 is a bit of an encouragement as we think about uh, the passages in the Old Testament that point towards the future. Deuteronomy 18 and verse number 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a capital P prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, and him you shall hear. Now, I've got one of those Bibles that has some notations in it. And in the middle column, mine says Acts chapter 3 and verse 22. Maybe you have that, maybe you don't. But if you have time and you think about Acts chapter 3, there's a quotation there back to this particular passage. When we think about the things in the Old Testament that point forward and point the way towards Christ. That is encouraging to us. And then Deuteronomy 32 in verse number 4. Again, this is the part of the section that we might call Moses' farewell admonition, his farewell speech here at the very end, right up into his death. And he says here in this song of Moses in verse number 4, He is the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice righteous and upright is he again not to to be uh any way about it here but we don't necessarily want to think about a time of of our life coming to an end but we sometimes do to encourage ourselves to say what would you say what would you do how would you react what might you be saying about god in that particular moment And here Moses has nothing to say except for that God is the rock. God is perfect and he is full of justice. And we should be singing that song even as Moses did, not only at our death, but throughout our lives. A few practical lessons and then the lesson will be yours. A few practical lessons for us. First of all, God is always willing to forgive. 
God is always willing to forgive. We think about the passage there on the screen in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Think about it again in the relationship of God with the children of Israel. Though he knew that Israel would rebel, he provided an opportunity to be saved. You know, sometimes our children disappoint us. And that's, that's frustrating. It's natural somewhat because we're all human. But, but it's frustrating and it's disappointing. But God knew. God knew that Israel would rebel. But yet he provided an opportunity to be saved. God is always willing to forgive. He is not willing that any should perish. I think that's an interesting thought for us because many people want to try to box God in into certain compartments and they want to say, well, he's only this and he can't, if he's this, he can't be that. God's a loving God that he'll never allow anything bad to happen or that God wants to just punish people. No, God is not willing that any should perish, but there's more to it than just that. He wants everyone to come to repentance God is always willing to forgive. Again, we look at the Old Testament and even the New Testament sometimes. And we look at the apostles and we look at those in the book of Acts. And we look at others and we kind of, again, shake our fists and shake our head. And we think, how could you? How could you react that way? How could you miss the miracles that are being done right in front of your face? How could you do that and then turn your back? Or do that and then disappoint Jesus? But they did. We would do the same thing if we were in their shoes. We do the same thing today. But God is always willing to forgive. That is comforting and should be comforting to us even as we think about this great God who did work miraculously and chooses today not to as he has given us his word and all things that pertain to life and godliness. But he knew. He knew that Israel would rebel, but yet he knew that he would offer them forgiveness and they would have an opportunity to repent just as we do today, as long as we have life and breath here upon this earth. Number two, in connection, man must repent before God will forgive him. We think about Luke chapter 17 and verse number three, as Jesus is giving this discussion here on repentance and forgiveness, he says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We had a lesson on this. It may have been before Christmas or before the end of last year. I can't recall exactly, but we talked about this fact that we need to be willing to repent, that we cannot forgive someone who is not willing to go through those steps. Many times we would look at that situation. We'd say that's common sense. I mean, why would you just forgive somebody? They need to do something. They need to make restitution. There needs to be a change. Yes, God is willing to forgive, but man must repent. There is no way to be saved while willfully remaining in sin. Perhaps you remember the words there in Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 6. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in our class here on Wednesday nights as we discussed sin. And we even talked about it last Sunday night as we talked about grace. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid, depending on the translation in front of you. But absolutely not. And again, as we sometimes put human 
phrases or human emotion into the words as we read it. We think about Paul there writing with his hands up, are you crazy? Absolutely not. God forbid. May it never be so. Why would we keep sinning just so that we can get more grace? That sounds backwards. But yet, again, that's the way many people in the world choose to live. We cannot continue in sin. We must repent, and then we're thankful that we serve a God who is willing to forgive. And then thirdly, this evening, we must have the humility to always remember what the Lord has done in our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28 may be familiar to you because you may turn to these verses. You may very well turn to these verses every first day of the week. Because here, as Paul is talking about to those in Corinth, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and even as he goes down into verses 27 and 28, he talks about examining ourselves. That's tough sometimes. I'll be the first one to admit, and maybe many of you would as well, as we partake of the Lord's Supper each first day of the week, it is extremely difficult sometimes to focus. It's extremely difficult. No matter if someone says something, you know, some words to try to encourage us or, or reads a passage or we sing the song, it's extremely difficult sometimes to focus. And so sometimes we take the Lord's Supper sort of very quickly. And it's just something that we do uh, in, in a fast way without even thinking. I've said it before, and we may even say it in here on Wednesday night, but, but again, we put so much emphasis sometimes here on the pulpit and on the sermon we put so much emphasis on just the, the 20, 25, or 30 minutes that we study and hear a lesson from God's Word, but we forget about the other things we're supposed to be doing. Reminding ourselves of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as He had commanded us to do, is of such importance. And even as Paul says here, but let a man examine himself. Let us think about what we are doing. Because he says in verse number 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We must always be willing to humble ourselves and remember what the Lord has done in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 10 as well. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly. Then they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. It's easy sometimes to feel for what we've done and feel proud of what we've done and of what we've done and to put ourselves in the first place. We talked in our class this morning for just a moment about this idea that sometimes that idolatry is simply that we take God out of first place and we put something else in his place. And sometimes it's prosperity, and other times it's sports, and sometimes it's our kid, kids or our jobs, and sometimes, quite frankly, it's just us. We're top place. Look what we have been able to do. The idea here that we must always have humility is very important for us to think about. One more passage, I didn't put it on the screen, but look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. Again, as we think about this same last point here, thinking about remembering, as we said the book of Deuteronomy is about. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift 
of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Praise be to God. We serve a God who was willing to save us, to offer us salvation. And again, not that we could earn it by works, not that we could do enough or check enough boxes, but it's what the Lord has done in our lives. Being thankful for the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, being thankful that we have an opportunity to commemorate that every first day of the week. And may we always examine ourselves and remember what the Lord has done in our lives, not only here at the table each first day of the week, but every day. The challenge of Christianity is to remember. To remember. And again, we, we go back and forth because we sometimes say, well, if I'd just been there, if I could have stood at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus be crucified, I would never forget. I would never forget what he has done, what he had done. But there were probably many people who stood there and witnessed such agony and yet turned their back. There are probably lots of people, especially as we think about the children of Israel, who witnessed God doing miracles and yet turned their back. Same thing is true for us today. Will you remember, not only this evening, but as you go through your lives, will you remember what the Lord has done and remember it in humility? That begins many times with becoming a Christian and becoming a child of God. And as we are concluding this lesson and about to sing this song of invitation that's been selected, We'll be singing that through its words, we might encourage you. Maybe you need to remember what Jesus did on the cross. Maybe you need to become a child of God. Hearing the word of God, even as we've done this evening, evening, believing the word of God, the truth therein, and repenting of your sins, making a change, changing your mind, allowing that change of mind to show forth with a change of life. Once you do that, you can confess Jesus as Lord, that he is the Son of God, even as we read about on the pages of the New Testament, and you're prepared. You're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins. As we often say sometimes, going down into the water and immersion, not to have the dirt washed off your skin by the water, but to have your, the sin removed from your life by the blood of Christ, so that the Lord can add you to his church. And you can begin to live faithfully, but part of living faithfully is remembering. And when we forget, we turn away. Maybe you're here tonight and you've done that. You stand in need of God's second law of pardon. Maybe you need to repent of sin that's in your life and pray for forgiveness. And God is willing to do just that, that you can again walk in the light as he is in the light. Maybe you're here this evening. You need the prayers or the encouragement of this church. The group of people assembled here that together we can remember. Together we can pray for one another. And together we can make it to a home in heaven. If you have any need, you can make it known now as we stand together and as we sing.